Good morning, everyone. The title of today's message is Yahweh is the God who sanctifies. So if you're writing notes, that's the title of today's sermon. Yahweh is the God who sanctifies. Sanctification is a term that we don't generally use in day-to-day conversation. You'll hear it in religious contexts, such as in worship. But to sanctify is a concept that we're very familiar with. To sanctify something is to set it apart. It's to reserve it, make it distinct or special. It has a unique purpose. It's not common. We see in the biblical text that Yahweh is the God who sanctifies. He sanctified in the beginning when he said, let there be light. And there was light and it was distinct. It was separate from darkness. He sanctified the lower waters, the oceans, the seas from the upper waters, the atmosphere. He made them apart, separate. And then he separated the water from the land. He set apart mankind as image bearers of God, unique amongst all of God's creation. They're separate. They're distinct. Furthermore, he separated marriage and made it isolated and unique between one man and one woman till death do you part. He separated Noah and his family from the entire rest of earth's population when he saved them on the ark. He made them different. He reserved them. Yahweh is the God who sanctifies. He sanctified Abraham. And we saw that earlier this morning in Dan Brown's class. God is the one Who sanctifies. He has been doing this work of sanctification even before the creation narrative took place. In Ephesians 1, we hear that God chose us, those who believe, from before the foundations of the world. We're different, we're reserved, we're set apart. That's something that God does. Yahweh is the God who sanctifies. Christ continued this work of sanctification, of setting apart, by setting apart his disciples. Remember, he had 12. He had many followers. He had 12 disciples. He set them apart. This work of sanctification is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, you heard last week, and it's in the bulletin. We're going through Leviticus chapter 20. If you have read through Leviticus chapter 20, and, you know, show of hands, who actually read through it this week? Did anybody? No? Well, I I presume that a lot of you are familiar with that text, at least going through the Bible annually. You know what's in that text. It's a difficult text, but it's appropriate for our context. For our social setting, this is a very appropriate text to read through. And in it is a bewildering list of immoralities, sexual in nature, some, but also idolatry is listed. Uh, there, there is numerous instances of horrible things in this chapter. And if you read through this chapter, it can be very easy to get distracted by the volume, the mass of All of these sins that are listed. But the point, the main point of this message is repeated several times in this particular chapter. And I don't want us to miss it. The main point, if you're writing down in your notes, the main point is that God's people are to be holy because Yahweh is holy. We looked at that Last week, the the fact that Yahweh is holy, when we went through Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10, Yahweh will be treated as holy. He is separate. He is distinct. 
He is reserved for worship. We looked at that. And how he judged Nadab and Abihu when they treated God as common. Well, we looked at the holiness of Yahweh. There's implications for that. There's implications for us. We, as called ones, as chosen ones, we are reserved to be holy as well. We're not to be like the same. We're not to be like the world. We're sanctified. Yahweh is the God who sanctifies. Let's open in prayer. Father God, to be called out of the world, to be chosen and reserved for you, adopted into your family, purchased at the cost of your son's own blood, is an amazing, amazing concept. Father, we thank you that you saw fit to be merciful to us, even though we have nothing to offer. We're thankful that you set us apart. Lord, today may we learn both what it is to be set apart to you and what it is to be distinct from the world. I pray that you would open our eyes as we go through this text. Help us to understand how it applies to today. I pray that this would frame our our worldview. And when we dialogue with others, when we discuss with others what your word says, I pray that you would bring these texts to mind. Your word is truth, Lord. And we are blessed if we bury it in our heart. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be opening our mind to understand and that he would be softening our heart to obey. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, uh, we are going to be in Leviticus chapter 20 today, so if you would open your Bibles to that particular text, we'll begin. I have seven sections of the text that we're going to go through and three application points. So if you're drawing a very tidy outline, that's kind of the basis of, of where I'm going. There's, there's seven chunks of text, and then there's going to be three application points. But we're just going to begin in, in verse 1. And the first section is verses 1 through 5, and it has to do both with idolatry as well as infanticide. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also say to the sons of Israel, Any man from the sons of Israel, or from the sojourners, sojourning in Israel, who gives any of his seed to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will also set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given some of those who are his seed, seed as children, to Molech, so as to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. If the people of the land, however, should ever Turn a blind eye to that man when he gives any of those who are his seed to Molech so as to not put him to death, that I myself will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut off from among their people both him and all those who play the harlot after him in playing the harlot after Molech. In this section that covers both infanticide and idolatry, we're looking at an explanation of, of what was covered in Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. This is a violation of both the first commandment and the second. It's a particularly heinous sin the destruction of children to worship pagan gods 
the reason why the people would do it is described in verse 3. They do it to defile the Lord's sanctuary and to profane my holy name. This is an, an absolute rejection of God's established worship and rejection of God. This particular sin is so heinous that Jeremiah chapter 19 verse 5 says, God didn't command this, nor did it ever come into his heart. This never even occurred to God to even think about this. This is a horrific event. And we see a modern day equivalent in the ongoing Roe v. Wade debacle that is going on right now. I look forward to the next few weeks when Roe v. Wade will be overturned. But this has brought to a surface something that is is plainly obvious now. The United States, the American culture that we thought existed, where there was regard for human life, is clearly not there. You look around at what the protesters are doing, and they do not care that that child is a human. They do not care that that child has a unique set of DNA. They do not care. They do not have the same morals. They do not have the same world view. They do not care about those things. We need to be able to produce an argument to offset that. And an argument is based on a moral code that is developed from God's word. They don't have that. They have a selfish, greedy worldview that wants what they want. And they don't care if the child is aborted right up until the term of birth. And even in some legislatures, they're arguing to be able to execute these children up to weeks after the child is born. This is a sick world. And we're going to talk more about this world. But what is important to understand, and we see this repeated a couple of times in verse 3 and also in verse 5, the Lord says this particular phrase, he will cut this person off. That's the same phrase, karat, as was used in cutting the covenant. It comes with the idea of an amputation, a removal. That the person who has committed these crimes, if they do not repent of them, they will be held accountable by God. They may not overturn Roe v. Wade, and that may continue, but those who continue to sacrifice children to their own selfishness, they will be held accountable. This is not the unforgivable sin. None of these are the unforgivable sin. And we need to be able to make that distinction. There is one unforgivable sin, and that is blaspheming God's Holy Spirit. If you have committed any of these crimes and sinned against Yahweh, you can be redeemed. He can save even us. No matter what the sin, there's only one sin, and that's a rejection of Christ that is unforgivable. So I would put that in your back pocket as we're looking through these things, uh, these horrible sins, that even if you've participated in any of these, you can still be redeemed. We're going to continue with verse 6. Verse 6 is the next section in the text, and it has to do with witchcraft. Verse 6 says, As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against that person and will cut him off. From among his people. That idea of playing the harlot is, is somewhat foreign to us. It's a different phrase. But in that social context, at that time, 
Cult prostitution was normative. It was regular. It happened. In the land of Canaan, which these people are going to be going into, there is all kinds of authorized prostitution taking place. People would go to the pagan religious temples, and in order to buy the favor of the pagan gods, they would have sexual intercourse with male and female prostitutes that were reserved. They were sanctified for this. They were separated for this particular purpose. The person who turns to witches, to diviners, to mediums, to spiritists, necromancers, to play the harlot after them is one who has separated himself to deviate away from Yahweh and chase after that particular sin. If you look at Hosea chapter 2, and we're not going to go there, you can see a a real-life example where Hosea's wife turned to harlotry. And it was an example that Yahweh put in the people of that time that it is an extreme measure of unfaithfulness. And that's what happens when people turn to idolatry and away from the Lord. Now, so you can be sanctified in, in two ways. You can be sanctified to the Lord or you can be sanctified to judgment. Uh, that's kind of a, a distinction that I'm making here. So, we're, The next section is verse... It's from verses 7 through 8, and it, and it reiterates the main point. It says in verse 7, Therefore, you shall set yourselves apart as holy, and be holy, for I am Yahweh your God, and you shall keep my statutes and do them. I am Yahweh who makes you holy. This leads into my first application point. And my first application point is born out of the idea of how do we become more sanctified? That is something that we are to progress in. We're supposed to grow in sanctification. That's evidence that Christ is at work in our lives. The first application point, the first way we grow in sanctification is we need a uh, and I take it from 1 Peter chapter 3 which says sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts what that means is and what I talk about with my kids is Jesus is our big boss he gets to say what we do He gets to override those sinful passions that drive us away from him and he gets to say no You're going to do what is holy and right and good. If you are not developing in your sanctification, if you are not progressing in your holiness, I fear for you. Because you are in a dangerous place. You have been told God's word. And if you reject it, you have rejected the Lord. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. When he is Lord, he gets to override our normal actions if they're against his will. And that's okay. We, if we're thinking clearly, we want that. If we're not thinking clearly, we want what we want because that's what we want. That is, that is the wrong Approach. So in verses 7 through 8, it's a reiteration of the main point. The people of God are to be holy because Yahweh is holy. We do this for him. And we sanctify Christ. We set Christ apart and over us as Lord in our hearts. Our next section is verses 9 through 21 which is related to familial relationships, family relationships, and sexual immoralities. 
We're going to read through this, and then uh, I'll dice it up a little bit. Verse 9. If there is anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood guiltiness is upon him. I'll stop there. I do have to make a comment or two about this. The context we need to remember. The people who are hearing this law have heard the law in Mount Sinai. Honor your father and your mother. That's the fifth commandment. But as we learned this morning from Dan Brown in in the Sunday school hour, the people that said, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do, we will obey, they fell in the wilderness. This command is given to their children to honor their father and their mother. These children are commanded to honor people that dishonor the Lord. That is a stunning command. And we hear in Ephesians 6, Paul saying, this is the first command with a promise. What's the promise? So that it may be well with you in the land. You will obey your father and your mother. You will honor them so that it may be well with you in the land. They're going to die. You're going to live. Anyone who curses his parents, he shall be put to death. God feels strongly about honoring your parents. It's important. And it says at the end of verse 9, his blood guiltiness is upon him. This is a phrase that is repeated six times. It's a a stain, an indelible mark upon the person who commits these sins. He's been stained. His blood guiltiness is upon him, and he will bear the penalty. Okay, I'm going to list through, run through verses 10 through uh, 21. If there's a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, this is breaking the seventh commandment, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If there is a man who lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. If there is a man who lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. If there is a man who lies with a male As those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. If there is a man who marries a woman and her mother, it is lewdness. Both he and they shall be burned with fire, so there will be no lewdness in your midst. If there is a man who lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death. You shall also kill the animal. If there is a woman who approaches any animal to mate with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. If there is a man who takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, so that he sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace. And they shall be cut off. In the sight of the sons of their people, he has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He bears his guilt. If there is a man who lies with a menstruous woman and uncovers her nakedness, he has laid bare her flow. She has uncovered the flow of her blood. Thus, both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall also not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or of your father's sister. For such a one has made naked his blood relative. They will bear their guilt. If there is a man who lies with his aunt, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They will bear their sin. They will die childless. If there is a man who takes his brother's wife, it is an impure act. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They will be childless. These are... This is a horrible list. And I wanted to read through it quickly because I I hate to read it. 
Sexual immorality is everywhere right now. And we're going to talk more about the why in a moment. But in, in briefly, sexual immorality is when God hands people over to themselves. You look at America and the state of America today, this is a sign of judgment. America is being judged. You look at our government, you look at our social context, we are being judged. I don't say that to cause us fear. On the contrary, that means we are that much closer to the end. So while we are seeing this actually taking place before us, there is hope for those that are found in Christ. And I cling to that after reading this awful list. This list that contains incest. This list that contains adultery. This list that contains homosexuality. All of these perversions, the Lord calls toeva, an abomination. He lists several words in here. Perversion, abomination, lewdness disgrace, an impure act. These people, no matter if they call themselves evangelical Christians, if they are participating in this, and we see people who are trying to justify what they do and mesh, have syncretism with Christianity and what they're trying to justify, the Lord calls it an abomination, toeva. It, abomination is a visceral picture. It's the, the feeling you have before you vomit. And that's what the Lord experiences when his created people who are made in his image participate in Toeva. Um, <clears throat> one other thing I want to mention, or several other things I want to mention. Uh, I've heard uh, homosexual slash Christian uh, apologetics. They are people who argue for a meshing, a synchronization of these two ideas. Uh, They propose several arguments to justify their wickedness. One of those arguments that they produce is saying, oh, well, Jesus... He never mentioned homosexuality. If it was that important, he would have said something, wouldn't he? And Christians who perhaps don't know their Bible very well, they, they go, well, oh, huh, that, that sounds like a pretty good argument. Maybe I need to reassess. Jesus Christ, he mentioned marriage. Marriage as between one man and between one woman, ordained at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and also repeated in Genesis 2, 24. He did that in the context where people were arguing for divorce. I want to be able to divorce as many times as I want. I want to have a license to live however I want. And Jesus said, haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you know? God ordained marriage in the beginning. That is between one biological male and one biological female. Till death do you part. And the reason why that's so important, the reason why marriage is so critical, is because it is an important picture of Christ and his church. You influence that picture of Christ and his bride, whom he sanctified and died for. You mess with that picture at all, and you introduce all kinds of horrible ideas. But Christ, he died. He gave himself over for his bride to set her apart, make her pure and holy and above reproach. When we talk about the abomination that is homosexuality and labeling it marriage, that is an affront to what Christ established in the beginning. Another argument they propose 
is that, well, homosexuality is only mentioned a couple of times in the Bible, so it must not be that important. You think of the context of where it's mentioned, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty big indicator of how God uh, understands homosexuality. Another argument they propose is, well, God said it wasn't good that a man be alone, and so he introduced a wife to Adam. Uh, if we don't like women, shouldn't it be fair that we have a, a same-sex partner? Wrong. Wrong. Paul. Paul was single, and he was set apart for the work of the gospel. Being alone is no curse. It is no condemnation. It is being sanctified and set apart. Yahweh is the God who sanctifies. So no matter how much the homosexual evangelical community tries to twist God's word, believer, you rest in it. God's word says what it means, and it means what it says. You don't have to twist it. You don't have to spiritualize it and say, oh, well, they just didn't know. They were ignorant. We know better now. These things are wrong. God doesn't change his mind. He established these laws. We are going to see in the future, rapidly, I presume, as we've seen transgenderism occur, uh, we're going to see a rise in bestiality. We're going to see a rise in pederasty, pedophilia. We're going to see these things. That is an indication that God is handing this country over to itself. They will bear their guilt. All of that to go and say, for the believers, this is the second application point that I want to mention. What is God's will for us in our context? I take it from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is God's will for you, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You know, in, in uh, Acts chapter 15, as the uh, church was trying to establish what was okay for the Gentiles to do. The Judaizers came in and said, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got to do all of these things or you're not saved. But when they had the council, they came up with the resolution. There was only a few things they had to do. They had to abstain from sexual immorality, idolatry, things that were strangled and from blood. They had to abstain from that. Christian... If you cannot get to that point, you are not mature. You have not achieved the first step, or as Paul Washer says, the bottom rung of Christianity. You are an immature, naive Christian because you are still committing what the most elementary, basic Christianity forbids. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Abstain from sexual immorality. This is God's will for you. You say, I can't. It's too powerful. It has me. <laughs> Christian, if you truly are a Christian, the creator of the universe indwells you. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. That is a promise. And a promise that he can make good. If you find yourself in this sin, you need to turn your life over to Christ. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Our fifth section is verses 22 through 25. And it is with regard to the reason for why these commands are given. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them so that 
That's a purpose statement. This is the reason so that the land to which I am bringing you to inhabit will not vomit you out. Moreover, you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I will cast out before you, for they did all these things. And therefore, I have loathed them. He was sickened. It's repellent. Hence, I have said to you, you yourselves shall possess their land, and I myself will give it to you to possess it, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am Yahweh your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You are therefore to separate between the clean animal and the unclean, and between the unclean bird and the clean, and you shall make yourselves, you shall not make yourselves detestable by animal or by bird or by anything that creeps on the ground, which I have separated for you as unclean. In this section, verses 22 through 25, the reason is given for the commands. It's for their well-being. The land will vomit them out. You know, it's interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 31, right before Moses dies, He's talking to the Lord, or the Lord is talking to him. And he, and he says, you know what, Moses? You're going to write a song. You're going to write a song that they're going to remember. And it will condemn them in the future. They're going to remember that I told them not to do this. And when they are vomited out of the land, when the land expels them, they'll have this to remember. And in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16, And Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with foreign gods of the land into the midst of which they are going, and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have cut with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be consumed. And many evils and troubles will find them, so that they will say in that day, Is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have found us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. So now, Write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it in their mouths so this, this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. And then in, in chapter 32, there's the song of Moses. And it's a testimony to the greatness and the holiness of God in the coming infidelity of the people. You know, when it says back in our text in Leviticus 20 that the land will vomit them out. That is a, an interesting event that has happened more than once. You know, we saw the people of Israel, they were vomited out for their idolatry. But even in Abraham's day, 720 years earlier, when God was making a promise to Abraham, he said, the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. This is the iniquity of the Amorite. They hadn't yet devolved to the point where the land would spew them out. It's saddening to see this happening, especially, you know, we have Memorial Day coming up and the 4th of July, and we love this country. We want the best for this country. We want the people of this land to turn to Yahweh. But they're not going to do that until Christ returns. Pray for the people of this land. Pray for her government. But focus your prayers that they would be converted, that the gospel would take root in their lives, and that they would be changed. Don't be distracted with, oh, you know, let us have peace. Let our legislators have wisdom. Yeah, those are good. Those are good things. They need Christ. That's what's important. That's why we're here, to be salt and light. If you are not salt and light, you're useless. I don't want us to be useless. I want us to have an impact in this town. 
God can do a work. He has in the past. There have been revivals where the hearts of men reorient to Yahweh, and it can happen again. So, there's good news either way, Christian. Either the Lord will return and judge this land and every other land, and we will be with him, or this country will turn. Either way, it's good news for us. Bad news for those that have been set apart to judgment. We have a window of time to act. Now is the time to act. Now is the time to offer our prayers to a gracious, compassionate God that he change hearts, open eyes for his glory and not our own. Our last two sections are the last two verses of the chapter. Verse 26 is just a reiteration of the main point. Verse 26 of Leviticus chapter 20 says, Thus you shall be holy to me, for I, Yahweh, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples to be mine. Christian, you are to be holy because your Redeemer, your Savior is holy. That's a good enough reason. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Let him be your boss and distinguish you from those that are around you. We're not to be like them. We're called out, chosen, redeemed, saved from the judgment to come. That's a good thing. Here's our final application point. We can develop in our sanctification by anchoring ourselves in God's word. In Christ's high priestly prayer, right before he went to the cross, he's surrounded by his disciples who are going to go through the worst hours of their life as their Savior is crucified. He prays to his heavenly Father this prayer. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You don't spend time in God's word, you're not going to grow in sanctification. Think of the implications of not growing in sanctification. Think of the dangers. Christian, anchor yourself in God's word. It is true. It tells you the truth. It tells you what's going to happen. It has done this millions of times. It has told us what will happen. We know what's going to happen in the future. You can take this to the bank. That if you are to avoid the judgment to come, you must learn about the judge and the Savior. The final point that I would make is verse 27. I'm going to tie it to another passage. Verse 27, now a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist, those who are dedicated to witchcraft, pagan religion, shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Uh, Go with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 15. In verse 23, we see the, the reason why. Uh, the straying after witchcraft, the straying after uh, idolatry is, uh, you know, we, we think about that and we go, well, you know, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm not painted green. I don't have a pointy hat. Um, I don't do seances or anything. Uh, let's connect it, though. Uh, the, the prophet Samuel, he... Uh, upbraids Samuel or upbraids Saul in his rebellion in 1 Samuel 15 23 after Saul had abandoned the Lord's commandment he tells him for rebellion is as the sin of divination 
and insubordination is as wickedness and idolatry. How does the Lord countenance our rebellion, our negotiating with him, our failure to do what he has called us to do? He equates it with witchcraft. That's a stunning thing, I think. And it usually is a a big help to me when I am trying to scramble around what God has told me to do. I don't want to do it. (laughs) Graciously, he reminds me of this passage. Rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as wickedness and idolatry. Be careful about disobeying the Lord and saying, tomorrow, I'll do it later. It's okay, Lord. This show is okay. Sure, they have blasphemy. They have pornographic images. They have horrendously defiled what your word says, but it's okay. I know it's wrong. I'm just going to engage in it anyway. Christian, if you are sucking down the sewer that is the world's entertainment, you are not sanctifying yourself. Turn it off. Don't engage in it. It's not there to help you. It's there to hinder you. And you are being hindered from growing in the grace and knowledge of your Savior. Now, I want to close this message by turning to Romans chapter 1, because this is the inevitable. This is what we are going to see, probably in in our lifetime. In Romans 1, we see the outcome of all of this rebellion, all of this uh, anger toward the Lord. This is what is described in our context and the future. It's happened multiple times. I'm betting it's going to happen again. In Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18. I'm just going to read through the rest of the chapter. Uh, You can follow along if you like. But just, I, I know this is going to connect for you. You're going to say, yeah, this is happening right now. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness... And unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's what they're doing when they're saying a man is a woman, a woman is a man, a child is nothing. That's suppressing the truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. No one's going to be able to say, oh, Lord, you didn't tell me. No one has an excuse. Creation itself directs us toward the Lord. Verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. For their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. He's talking about lesbianism here. And in the same way also, the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another, males with males, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. 
And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And though they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Christian, Yahweh is the God who sanctifies you. You have not been called to this. You have been set apart. You are to be holy as God is holy. This is strong words. These are hard words. I read a quote this week. Hard sermons make for soft hearts. Soft sermons make for hard hearts. I want a soft heart. I want that for you. I want you to grow. I want you to mature. I want your life to be a testimony of faithfulness so that your God and mine is glorified. May we serve our King this week. Let's close in prayer. Father God, you are holy. You are mighty. You have graciously taken some away from the punishment that we deserved. You have saved us at the cost of your son's blood. Thank you, God. May we faithfully serve you because you are worthy. May our lives be a testimony of the power of your Holy Spirit. And may we become more holy because of what you do. May your name be glorified because you are worthy. It's in Christ's name we pray.